I'll give you a funny story on education because I, 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 have, I have kids, so I'm knee-deep in it. I'm also a byproduct of a education. So, you know, I, I can see it from many, many different sides of the fence. But do you know who Peter Diamandis is? Of course. Right. So I was with Peter up at Singularity University, and there was me. It was a weirdest table I've been at. Me, uh, Peter, Ray Kurzweil, and Larry Page. And they were all talking about Singularity University. And I did the stupid thing. I made a statement um, in front of these geniuses. And I said to them about, you know, I've always had a problem with education, but, you know, I understand what you're doing um, with, the, uh, uh, with the university. But kind of how does it, how does it change and stuff? And Peter then told us the story. Singularity University, do you know it's not registered as an EDU? I'm not surprised. Yeah. So here was the thing. Larry told me that when they got when they set up Singularity University, it was there to have the sharpest minds teach what's happening today. Not what's not what's happening like 10 years ago, but modern technology. And as that technology changes, so does what's taught. So when they went to the education board to get the EDU registration, which saves on tax and all this kind of stuff, they were declined because that curriculum would not last 10 years. And Larry turned around and said, there's nothing that we do today that will be relevant in 10 years' time. Yep. And it was just like one of those. So for that reason, Singularity University, run by geniuses, is not an EDU. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. The intro that you just heard, which is probably my longest one leading in, is the entertaining and always informative Steve Sims. Steve was interviewed way back, talking early episodes uh, from this podcast, but I had to have him on again. One, because his book, Blue Fishing, just came out, and it is filled with nuggets of wisdom, but two... Steve is among the more entertaining guys I know, and this has so much value. If you are a teacher, you need to listen to this one. If you are a marketer or a parent, you really need to listen to this one. Um, But no matter where your walk in life is, the advice given on this podcast and in the book is so sound and practical. And by practical, I mean you can use this podcast tomorrow to be able to get things done. It is amazing. His journey, his story... Uh, is something that inspires me. Um, If you do enjoy it, what I ask you to do is, uh, one, share it, but um, get on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash startitup. There we kind of discuss some of the things on the podcast, and also it's where we get great recommendations on who to have on next. All right, well, I'm excited about this one. I think you're going to enjoy Steve's message as much as I did. So without further ado, Steve Sims. Joining me. Steve Sims. Now, for those of you that have been, that are OG on the podcast, in the early days, one of our, man, I forget which episode it is, but it's early, and Steve was our guest, and we have grown exponentially since then, and you've launched a book, so we're going to get into all that, but it's funny, because it was one of those um, podcasts that I got that I got, that was in the early days of me starting to get emails, and the email was like, who is that guy? Man, that guy. Um, and, 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 and I think I gave a disclaimer. I'm like, Hey, he's as raw as it gets, but 
you you kind of embodied that that mindset. So seeing that we have probably quadrupled in size twice since our first podcast, let me reintroduce Steve Sims. Uh, Steve, give a, and, and and again, mind you, we've done one podcast before, but uh, give a, give everybody a little bit of your background before we get into what you do in the book. Uh, I'm a East London bricklayer, a whiskey drinking biker, 230 pound of ugly that was called the Real Life Wizard of Oz by Forbes. And you were called the Real Life Wizard of, of uh, Real Life Wizard of Oz because um, I people come to me when they want amazing stuff. Uh, they want to get married in the Vatican by the Pope. They want to close down a museum, set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David, and have Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade them join dinner. They want to walk the white carpet at Sir Elton John's Oscar party. They want to play drums with Guns N' Roses, sing on stage with the rock band Journey. Anything amazing and fantastical, they come to me with a dream, a desire, and a checkbook, and I make it happen. Yeah, and what I love about this is what you started off with, the fact that you're, you're a bricklayer. Uh, you know, your, your parents were, you know, from humble beginnings, let's put it that way. And you just kind of had the mindset of, you know, let's make it happen, which ironically enough, um, it's been exciting because then you decided to, you know, go real serious and drop a book on everybody. So you, you have was about four months ago, you dropped blue fishing because the name of your company is blue fish group. So blue fishing, the art of making things happen. And that's really what we're going to dive in today is that I see so many people have the opinion that, Oh, you can't do that. We buy into this media myth that, oh, that you can never achieve in this world. Everything is stacked against you. Meanwhile, uh, your description, not mine, here's a, here's a guy from next to nothing, and uh, now he's the Wizard of Oz and making things happen. So let's go into a little bit of this mindset of uh, making things happen. Well, working, working both as a bricklayer and for some of the richest and most powerful people in the planet, I can see both the... Uh, poor life, shall we say, and the privileged life. And I will openly say, and this is a horrible way to start this podcast, so I apologize. But as I grew up, um, poor, never had a takeaway until I, I met my wife, never went out for dinner until occasionally with my, my mum's anniversary. I thought we were, we were poor. We had the same car for like 15 years. It wasn't until I grew up and I was thankfully in my late 20s that I realized how wealthy I actually was because there's nothing more empowering than knowing that when you fall down, you have the ability to get back up. And there's a lot of people that don't have that adversity, don't have those scars. And I, I openly say, if you haven't been screwed over, ripped off, um, sued, uh, had someone break their contract, had someone break their word, someone worked for you, steal your client. If you haven't had any of those things, wait. Because every entrepreneur goes through that and it's those scars that refine you. They don't define you, they refine you to become the amazing entrepreneur you are. So I'm a great believer that those with adversity have a greater education, and we can get into education in a second, but they have a greater education from the greatest school in the world in order to succeed. And that school is named what? The street. Exactly. I, I believe that I, I will openly tell you, and I will openly wear it on a t-shirt, 
I travel the world. I, I, I had a great life so far. I hope it's not over. Um, but I class myself as an educated man, but school had zero to do with that. Yeah. And, and it's been kind of interesting, even having known you now for two years, some of the things that you are doing kind of like, oh my gosh, there's Steve. And, and you're starting to, you know, well, I mean, and, and some people, you know, we, ironically enough, we started off this podcast with talking about, you know, genius people, but I think they'd also be the first to admit that, yeah, but a lot of their genius moments came through uh, adversity, came through learning, um, not necessarily from a diploma. So all of a sudden you're, you're hobnobbing with these people, you're starting to get their mindset um, but when you started to think, you know, well, I should, I should ask this, which came first, chicken or the egg? Did you start knowing some of these people and then building bluefish around it? Or did you build bluefish knowing that you could start getting these things happening anyway? Yeah, bluefish, bluefish didn't exist until five years of me doing it. Um, and I, I will quickly give you the condensed story. As a bricklayer from East London, I knew I didn't want to be a bricklayer. My family owned the company, which consisted of me, my mum, and my dad. My uncles wore it, my granddad, my cousin. I could literally every day go to work and see my family tree all the way down the building line. And I knew I didn't want that. So I tried everything from driving cake trucks to selling insurance, working on the door. I tried so many different jobs because I was motivated to run away ferociously from what I didn't want to do. And I knew I didn't want to do a bricklaying job, so I tried many other things. I actually ended up in Hong Kong um, through a failed attempt at a stockbroking job. Um, and I started doing what, what God had built me to be. Um, I was a doorman of a nightclub. Um, but I knew that if I was going to be successful, if I was going to have money, and to me at that time, when you're young, success is you look at people with like, the new Porsche, you know, the Rolex, the shops. To me, success was everything visual. And so I knew I wanted that. I'd grown up in a black t-shirt and jeans riding around on shitty motorbikes. I didn't want that life. And so I tried associating with people of the lifestyle I wanted. They always say you're a combination of the people you mix with. So I thought to myself, if I know 50 rich people, some of it's got to drip down. So as a doorman on the nightclub, I would literally start turning regulars away and saying, not tonight, guys. Walk down the road, speak to Jimmy, tell him Steve sent you. That's the place to be tonight. And I started becoming the person. I believe that every relationship starts with you being of value to that relationship. Oh, so wait a second. Look at You were turning people away that were good people to build somebody's clientele down the street? Yeah, yeah. I would be, what wow. I was trying to do... It was quite simple that I knew if these guys went into the club and it was empty, they would leave and they wouldn't give it a second shot. I used that, used that as my opportunity to send the good regulars away if it wasn't happening in there. Because you always had tourists that could go in there. But you would send the regulars away to build up trust. And before you knew it, I started getting asked about, oh, there's a private party going on. How do I get into it? And I would try and find a way. And it grew. Before I knew it, I was doing not only nightclub promotion, but I was hosting major parties for affluent auto manufacturers and jewelers and, and, fly, and planes. And I knew my goal was just to have a Rolodex of 50 to 100 really, really affluent people because 
and here's the intelligence. Once I had that Rolodex, you know, we always say in our life, once I hit this, as soon as I, you know, I had that, once I hit 100 rich people, someone will give me a job. Now, the funny thing was, I always had a sense of humor. I always had a, um, <laughs> what I openly call a prick policy. I don't like pricks in my world. I don't like assholes. I don't suffer flakes at all. So I used to, as a little joke, give these people passwords. And I used to say to them, here's where the party is. Here's the password. See you at nine o'clock. And I'd have these people turn up that were heads of banks, heads of corporations, and they would lean in and they would repeat the password and we would let them in. If they weren't confident and strong enough and up for a giggle just to come up with the password, we would literally say, sorry, mate, there's no party for you here tonight. And we would send them away. And one of those passwords was finish this sentence, one fish, two fish, red fish. Blue fish. <laughs> so people would literally walk up to the door, lean into one of the meatheads and go, blue fish. We go in, you go, have a good time. Yeah. And while I was building up this Rolodex, without realizing it, I was building up a community of people that enjoyed um, the access I was giving them. And it was, as I say, five years into me traveling around the world at like the Monaco Grand Prix, the Paris Fashion Week, the Grammys. And then eventually my wife said to me, are we going to take this seriously? And believe it or not, I was still applying for different jobs, tons of different jobs and not getting them while now living in a beautiful penthouse doing what it is I was doing that didn't have a label on it. Um, and when we tried to actually turn it into a connoisseur slash travel slash access slash, we didn't know what to call it. Someone literally called me up and said, I'm a friend of so-and-so's is, and this is a true story, is this bluefish? And I said, sorry? And I couldn't even, I didn't even get the link with the password because we'd used about 10 different passwords. <clears throat> and she said, no, Bluefish, that company that gets things done. And if I need something wow. special. And I sat there like an epiphany holding the phone. They branded and, you before you, wow. Yeah, I had built up a community and they had built up the name and that was it. Well, this, so it's so funny. So obviously, and guys, this is what I'm talking about. The book, well, first of all, this was chapter two basically the power of the password. Um, and, and I love it because like the advice that you're hearing is practical. I mean, it's entertaining. First of all, get it over with the books entertaining. Cause sometimes when I say a book is practical, people are like, Oh, it's boring. No, no. It means like you can read these stories. You can read these tips and advice and it just, it works. And so like almost skipping two chapters ahead, you're kind of now transitioning into being the real deal. You know, if all of a sudden you're starting to build some credibility, now all of a sudden you have to transition to, okay, all these things that I talked about doing, I have to do, which you kind of get into, you know, sweating the small stuff. Care to weigh in on that? There's a lot of people that overthink. Um, and the, the, core, the core of the book, if you had to sum it up on a stamp, is that if a 17-year-old bricklayer from London can do the I'm doing now, you're out of excuses. And I believe that so many people try to do things in branding, marketing, building up relationships, technology, website, anything. And the first thing they do is they overanalyze rather than just try it. And I'm a great believer in 
perfection comes from repeatedly failing at something. So just try something, grow from it, refine from it, try it something else. Because you will notice in your life, very, very rarely, have you ever repeated the same mistake twice? It's always a different variation because quite simply, the first one didn't hit you blindsided because you were prepared for it without even realizing. See, again, that, that, that's, I, I like the fact that you, you learn from repeatedly failing or, or you know, like, you know, you know what not to do eventually or looking back on waiting too long. Because uh, you're right, so many people have analysis paralysis. We hear all these things, uh, but a lot of people don't take that action. Um, but you also kind of build a, um, a community around you, which is why I like that story of, you know, is this the blue fish group and you didn't even know it. Um, but like you're also surrounding yourself with people. And I think you, you wrote this in your book too, the people that like um, you can always count on that. They, they're not going to give up on you. Um, how did those relationships form though? Like, like your core base of we're, we're in it with, you know, thick or thin, you know, how, how did those relationships get built in the beginning? Well, a relationship, as far as I'm concerned, is either worth it or it's not. I don't find that there's a gray zone. Um, and a relationship, you have to look at as selfish. Uh, if you're in a relationship with a superstar because it makes you feel good, but the superstar's not getting anything out of it, then all you are is a groupie and a follower. For me, a relationship is someone that challenges while supporting, while pushes, while maybe laughs at you, you know, it's all those elements. So any relationship I go into, and I'm a great believer, <laughs> I actually said to someone the other day, screw Bitcoin, relationships provide the best ROI. With a good relationship, anything is achievable. And you know those relationships are strong when at two o'clock in the morning, your car's broke down, you need to stay at a hotel and you've lost your wallet, you can call someone who will put that credit card forward and get you into that hotel room. Someone that's there without questions that can support you. So when I look at a relationship, the first thing I do is I go, well, okay, I want a relationship with that person. Because quite simply, every time you approach anyone for a relationship, you know something's in it for you. Yep. Okay. You, and I'll use the word selfish. And I don't shy away from that. But if I want to talk to someone, there's something in it for me. I'm not doing it to waste my time or find the miracle cure to get younger. Or maybe if I was, that would be the selfish reason. But I'm in that relationship, in that conversation, because I want something. It could be access to who they are, um, get them to do something for me, get them to invest in something, consult for, there's something in it for me. So whenever I go to anyone, within the first 60 seconds, usually within the first 30, I need to let them know what's in it for them because i'm a great believer that anyone can get that foot in the door at the moment yes the real trick is to be so irresistible they don't want you to leave and i will give you a, a an example of that i had a client that wanted to actually play uh with a rock band actually no let me rephrase that he actually wanted to meet them i thought that was boring so i wanted to see how i could get him to actually sing with them now, with the internet and smartphones and any of these massive computers we've got in a tiny little smartphone now, you can Google and you can do your research. And I tell you quite openly, if the person you're going to reach out to isn't worth two minutes of just Googling to get some background uh, perspective on the person, it's not a relationship you want. 
So I did a little bit of research. I found out that within the band, the son of the drummer had autism. So I thought to myself, hang on a minute. I know my client wants something from this band, but how about if we did it and all of it was to benefit autism? Oh, that's, yeah. So we went in and very, very quickly I said, hey guys, now there's a, another thing about you know, credibility leaps and I'll talk about that in a second. But by the time I got to speak to the band, very quickly I jumped in with, hey, I'm on the phone because you know I want something. You know, get the elephant out of the room because you know I want something. But I did my homework and I'm aware that there's a great um, desire to end autism within this band. I have an idea how I can help get a little bit uh, closer to that goal. Straight away, I gave them something that went, oh, okay, what's that? Well, my client, and I went that route, and the donation was done to autism. We did, every time we did any promotion of what we were doing, had Autism Speaks, links to Autism Speaks to donate, had a competition in Autism Speaks to be able to get tickets to come along and watch it. So we did this whole fanfare around Autism Speaks, and the client actually raised a lot of money for autism because we shrouded it in a win-win situation. My client got what he want, the band got what he want. And do you know, nine times out of 10, when you're dealing with the level of people that I deal with, money doesn't come into the communication. Because you phone up- and right. I'll yeah, the value, yeah. yeah. You phone up CAA today and go, hi, I need Brad Pitt over for a barbecue. How much is it gonna cost? You count the milliseconds before they hang up on you. You've got to give people a reason that's beyond money. Yeah, no, that, that story's genius. I mean, your public relations hat was on for sure, but you brought value. You know, because I mean, in my small, small way, the, the, you know, our brand is bigger. So now I get, and I hate to complain, but I get tons of emails saying, can I pick your brain? <laughs> uh, and, and and like and, and unfortunately in, in the first two years I said well sure of course and then I realized that like all of a sudden I was five and six hours poorer and hadn't accomplished what I what my vision was matter of fact the funny story so um right before my book came out I was I, and I'm trying not to name drop but I was I was pleased to have a relationship with Daniel Pink and so I was like hey you know he was nice enough to to give me a a front uh, quote for the, for the book and he says hey one more piece of advice and I'm not going to give the guy's name but he's like call this guy this guy understands how to release a book your book will be much better served if you talk to this guy so he gives me his cell number so I'm feeling pretty good about myself I'm not just going to call him and say hey I'm a guy Daniel Pink sent me this is this was the password right so I was like hey um I mean it was Don Wetrick I'm going to release a book uh, hopefully I'm not intruding but Daniel Pink gave me your number he's like awesome and I said so I started going into the the crux of the book he's like okay I'm sorry I have to stop you right there and he says uh, I hate to do this he said but uh, I would love to help you um, but you can sign up on my website. I have some slots open this week, but I'm $1,000 an hour. And I was like, my first initial reaction was, what a jerk. Until he told me, everybody wants to talk to me for free. I have a family. This is what I do. Now, did I have the money to pay him? No. But that lesson was 
maybe better than what he was probably going to do anyway. Cause I walked away going, he set a boundary and he like, Hey, I'm worth it. He signaled that he's worth it. And I, I, I always will remember that because now I know that if I'm going to expect something, I have to bring value first. And I teach that to my students. Like, do not just reach out to somebody and say, Hey, mentor me. What's in it for them? And, and, and the genius of you just doing some research. And I, you know, that's the crazy thing. Like so many of these answers to hard problems are shockingly simple. I had somebody on the podcast earlier last week who his breakthrough is he wrote his goals down. <laughs> like, just, like that was his breakthrough. Like he wrote it down and he's like, cause when I saw it, I was like, Oh yeah, that's what my goal He's Like up till that point, my goal is always in my head. And so the fact that you did some research and is like, okay, I've got a connection here and I've got a connection there and we're going to bring value to the band and this guy. It's just, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's, it's you know, those kind of insights are just great. You know, funny enough, I, I had a similar, um, a similar situation now, you know, I don't want to be arrogant, but in my space, in that top 2% of the world internationally, I'm, I'm quite well known to everyone else on the planet. No one knows who the bloody hell I am. And nine times out of 10, I sit at the back of an event and people kind of look at me thinking I'm a security guard or something uh, without knowing that <laughs> I'm the guy that actually just closed down this place. Um, but, uh, and of course, the book's now come out, which has made me a lot more uh, open and people are now seeing, seeing, and obviously the contradiction of to what I look like, what I sound like, and who I'm dealing with um, has helped my marketability. But I get the same thing. I probably get about 20, uh, 20 emails going, oh, I'm opening up this, or I wanted to, what would you do? I actually did the exact same as your buddy did. And about three months ago, I set up a, a consulting page. I'm not pitching it. Um, and I put on there $500 a chat. And I said, for $500, we will have a 30-minute conversation. We do a little 10-minute, go, hey, how are you? You know, shoot the shit, get rid of that crap. And then we push the button of a timer and we solve what we can in 30 oh, minutes. Oh, yeah. Now, something happened. Something really funny happened on that. And again, please listen to this because I'm not pitching it, okay? I got a lot of people that, for a start, came through on that, and I ended up having conversations. Now, two things happened. One, if you're spending 500 bucks, you've got to be committed to the problem. You know, if you don't value you, how can the other person? Yep, and yep, yep. Joe Polish, Joe Polish always used to say to me, if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. So if you've got 500 bucks skin in the game, you want to make this worthwhile. And that clock, that 30-minute clock gets rid of the bullshit. If you've got 30 minutes clocking down, you're not going to be asking me what I'm watching on Netflix. You're going to be like, Steve, I've got this, I've got this, I'm going to, what do we do? How can this do? Where am I going? Why am I doing it? It's, it's so, those 30 minutes, I can sometimes come off quite openly tired because you've done a sprint for 30 minutes for not wasting time and money to solve an issue. Now, sometimes during that, you realize that there's a longer conversation or there's a longer structure which you will gain ground from doing it. And what I started doing, and here's the big, big eye opener for this. I started doing it with my family. It's a, it's a really silly thing. But the second I started doing this, uh, now I've always scheduled time with my family. You know, I'm a great believer in scheduling. 
if you, your book time in your diary to speak to your accountant, go to the dentist, go and get your eyes tested, go and get your, your, you know, your medicals done, all this stuff you don't want to do. But how many times in your diary or in your calendar do you see lunch with my wife, afternoon movies with my kids? You, know, you don't see it in there. So I actually schedule time with people I care about because quite simply, I'm open to scheduling time with people I don't. Why wouldn't I with people I do? So I started doing that. And then because of this 30-minute phone call, I actually started going, okay, if we've got a problem, should we do 20 minutes? And we will actually go, okay, I'll meet you here. It'll be somewhere around the house, maybe on the patio, in the garden, on the grass, whatever. Okay, you ready? 20 minutes, go. What do we got? And we'll sprint. We'll go for it. What do you, oh, I've got a problem at school. What's the problem? How is it coming through? Why is the problem compounded? Is it fear that's fear itself? And we will do it for 20 minutes. And you'll be amazed at how many problems you can solve when you've got that single focus and that time actually helps. So I suggest and recommend to anyone out there, if you've got a partner in your relationship, whether it be a loved one, someone in your family or someone in your business, and there are, there are problems going around, book a 20 minute and hit it hard. And don't do it at your office. Don't do it in front of a computer screen. Do it yeah. somewhere away from any kind of distraction. Literally sit on the grass, go, right, we've got 20 minutes. There's a problem here. What's your problem? Start the button. All right. I don't like the way this, and just hit it for 20 minutes. It's a great safe zone to do it in. I love that because it's so deliberate. And, and again, guys, this is, this is why I love this book, and this is why I like talking to you. But I'm going I'm to go back to the catch-22, right? I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But this is the whole if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. So we had, I'm going to be really brutally transparent. So when we released, um, we, we have an online platform in, in which we have a mindset course for students because we believe, no, we know that everything starts with the mindset first, everything. And so um, one of our co-founders um, was, we were discussing pricing because in some ways we wanted to make it so affordable that you couldn't say no but we had some people giving us feedback and go, that's too cheap because if it's cheap, there's must be something wrong with it. And so, you know, especially Jamal and I were like, well, but we don't want this to be for upper middle-class kids. We want this to be for everybody. And they're like, look, if you're going to start building a community, you, you might have to start off with the people that are willing to pay a little bit because if it's worth it, it's worth it. And if it's cheap, it's cheap. And we had to learn that lesson because they're right. How do you cheat? You know, how do you treat free? Or as my grandpa used to say, no one washes a rental car. Like it's not yours. It's not real. And so hearing that even that can work for family situations, like, Hey, mom and dad's time is valuable. The casual we're together as a family is not deliberate. But if we, if our Google calendars all, and by the way, Steve, I'm going to start this. When our Google calendars all sync at the same time, like, oh, it's family discussion time. Because, and, and Alicia's going to love this. My wife, several years ago, we had a, a time on Sunday evenings called Self-Actualizing Sunday. And so we'd get together and we'd kind of talk about the week's, you know, lessons, the things that we took from the week. And we've gotten sloppy. We've gotten lazy. Because, I mean, I, we used to value that. But there wasn't a specific, like our Google calendar wasn't going off. It was usually after dinner on Sundays as the week was winding down, right? But now I'm hearing that and say, okay, this is a valuable time. 
We're going to schedule it in. We're going to talk about self-actualizing Sunday because it is worth it. So I love, love that idea. Good. <laughs> um, so the, the other thing that, that you kind of go into um, on the book, and, and again, I like the fact that, well, it's like one of my favorite books was, uh, what was that? Uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You read that and you're like, this is so obvious. Why am I not doing this? You know, just simple things. Um, talk to me, uh, about, uh, I think it was, uh, the chapter was like, uh, why ugly works or something like that. But basically some of these little small things you can do, uh, you talked about, you know, the, the, I'll, I'll let you go into the sky mall ideas. Um, but even, even things like when you've already served somebody, the old fashioned handwritten notes are still king. Well, I just... Look, the bottom line of it is, and I'm going to go back to my childhood. I remember when I was a kid, mum would send me down to my grocery store. And I would go down to my grocery store and I'd pick up all my groceries. I'd walk past the, uh, the teller and I would give them the list that my mum had given to me and I would walk out the door. I never had to pay for anything in those days. You know, this was uh, London, South London. It was just that kind of period of time that your mum would then go in on a Saturday and settle up. Now, I'm sure if I walked into my local supermarket and grabbed some stuff and walked out now, I'd be arrested. But in those days, it was breeding you on what is your word. And I think we've lost a lot of that. Now, I believe, and I'm still, the only thing I'm qualified to do in my life is to bricklay. And I would not trust me to build anything in your home. But I noticed that I knew how to talk to people. And as a street person, you knew when that person was bad. You knew when that person was after something. You trusted your gut. When you're living in those kind of environments, you have a hyper uh, sensitivity to okay? And quite often danger, because you don't know if you're going to get mugged or you're going to get a smack in the head. You move that to today, the one thing that's happened that makes me look absolutely superhuman is the inability for people to communicate and market appropriately. Everyone says, okay, I'm going to do, and I've seen this, I've consulted for people and they go, all right, I want to release this. So I need to get Salesforce and I need to get this, uh, this CR and then I'll get that. And what we'll do is we'll have the autoresponder that will go through to that and then they'll put them into a funnel. They overcomplicate stuff. And the more they lose the ability to communicate with each other on a human scale, because while technology is accelerating, we ain't changed. We're exactly the same. And trust me, your needs and desires to connect are still as strong as they were when we were packs of hunters in Neanderthal days. And so what I do is I keep it raw. I keep it ugly. If I'm dealing with someone, I will try and phone them. If I don't want to interrupt them at work, I will video, a little video on my smartphone, everyone's got one, and I will text it to them. Here's the question. You wake up in the morning or you're at work and you've got a smartphone and you've got emails and you've got texts. Which do you answer first? Probably texts. Everyone does. I've never heard anyone go, no, I'll answer my 200 emails first. <laughs> but here's an even better one. If you videoed something, a little pop-up pops up of your face and now they've got a pop-up of your face. We've got senses, sight, touch, vision, all those kinds of things. We've got senses. 
email doesn't satisfy any of those. But if you send someone a video text, if you go, hey man, how are you? Look, we haven't spoken for a while. I know we were working on that project. I've got some ideas. Are you open for a phone call tonight at four o'clock? Let me know, hit me up, cheers, all the best, bye. You've got your passion, you've got your enthusiasm, you've got your tone, you've got your voice, you've got everything there. The only thing you don't really have is smell. But you've got all of the other sight, sound, and maybe not touch either, but most of your senses are being looked after in that. And then there's another way that I go forward, and you mentioned about the Sky Mall. I will, uh, when I used to fly, and sadly, Sky Mall's dead now, but there used to be an in-flight magazine that had got all the crap you could ever think of. I don't know where they found this tribe, but it was things like a skeleton back scratcher or a manatee post box, uh, just stupid stuff. I used to, on my flight, pull out a page, and I still keep them with me now. I keep with me a bunch of Sharpies, and I've got like dark blues, I've got silvers, reds, so whatever the color is that you're going to write on, you've got a Sharpie that will stand out. Usually silver's the best. And I would write on it, Johnny, I can't help thinking this would work brilliant on your new apartment and there'll be a manatee post box. Now, obviously it won't, but you fold that up and you shove it in an envelope, you hand write on the envelope, you put a stamp on the envelope, make sure that stamp is not perfect. So make sure it's diagonal, slightly squiffy and you post it. Now here's the thing, you've not gone through a fulfillment center, so that piece of paper inside is not creased like you've ironed it. So this, the, the envelope is slightly spongy. You can tell a human's done it because the stamp is not perfect. Now here's the thing, how many fingers does it take to delete an email? One. How many fingers does it take to open up a letter? Yeah, wow. Yeah, I never thought, yeah. All of them. You know, you can't open an envelope with one hand. Right. <clears throat> so here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing. When you send a letter to somebody, and we're going to go in ROI in a second, because I know all those people out there are going, oh, I've got big email lists. Let's go for it for a second. When you send someone a letter, in your letterbox, nine times out of ten, you've got about nine letters. Your local Chinese has just opened up. Maybe there's a new, you know, sit and sleep in your area that's sent you a flyer, a bed, bath, and beyond coupon, and a letter that's handwritten. You're opening it, you're touching it, you're ripping it open. So you've got texture, you've got sound. I sent some letters when I was in Japan. I actually, because it was cherry blossom season, we found some perfume that replicated the smell of cherry blossom. Oh, wow. We put a little bit of that spray in it so they even had smell. Wow. And in it, was a travel guide, a cheap, shitty travel guide to Japan that I went, this place is awesome. You should go there. Chat soon, Steve. And the hotel that I was at gave these to me for free. So you don't even have to pay for it. Now, here's the thing. Because yeah, you're bringing value to them too. Wow. Yeah, but there's all these naysayers out there going, yeah, well, that's great, but I got 4,000 people on my list. Let's play a little game. And this is where I'm going to piss off the techies. And you can stop me if you wish. I no, actually, no, never. Go. <laughs> I have an email database list, okay? And it's, it's big, okay? But the simple fact is, no matter how many people are on your email list, they don't get your email. So I did a little thing for Joe Polish when I spoke at his Genius Network event a while ago. 
I actually had a little uh, gas. I actually spoke to MailChimp, Constant Contact, and a couple of others, and I went through it. If you've got 5,000 people in your list and you send out an email, you get what's called an open rate. And the open rate can be around about, if it's really good, could be like 20%. Okay? So that means 1,000 people actually saw this email. And then you've got a click-through rate. That's where you click through to the actual offer, the bones, the details of it. That's around about 7%. That means for every 5,000 emails that you send out, 70 people were immediately deleted. Yeah, yep. Okay, that means that 4,930 people never got your message. Now, when I travel, and again, because of my job, I get to travel a lot, but you can walk down to your local hotel. Hell, you can even just go and buy a bunch of envelopes. You, know, you haven't even got to get them free for a hotel. I love hotel stationery because it's always got the emblems on it. But if you go and get uh, 10 envelopes and you write 10 letters, how many of those envelopes do you think actually get opened up? Uh, nine. Nine, nine of 10. Okay. We've already said that we're not great at school. Someone work out the ratio of success between that and your emails. And <laughs> well, to be, to be fair, to be yeah. fair, because it's almost contrarian. Uh, and, 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 and to also be fair, because it's deliberate and it's not, it's not, it's purposeful. Like, cause like when I get things in the mail of those, you know, bundled coupons and they're in envelopes and there's like literally 200, I toss it. I hate to say that, but I toss it. Right. When you have a nice stationery, when you can see that it was handled with care, when you open up and it smells good, I mean, these are the differentiators. And, and I totally oh, agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, this is a differentiator because, and, and, and when people say, well, it's a numbers game, it's a numbers game. If you're saying that you'd rather send 5,000 emails, I understand it's easier, but at, circling back to you trying to develop relationships, it's worth the 30 whatever cent stamp. There you go. This, okay, so there's a couple of things to go over now, and you just hit it on the head. <coughs> when you're reaching out to someone, first of all, is it worth it? If you're just sending out an announcement or a press release, yeah, hell, send it out via email. If you're making a connection with someone that spent a thousand bucks with you, ten thousand bucks with you, a hundred thousand dollars with you, a million with you, are you telling me an email's worth it? And here's another thing. Here's, here's a really beautiful thing. I'm a great advocate for child labor. I love it when I come up with one of these ideas. I come home to the kids and I go, right, kids, what are you going to charge me to write all these letters? What are you going to charge me to do all these envelopes? What are you going to charge? And I get them involved. And I'll have my kids writing these envelopes and doing all these kind of things. But you guess what? Now you're getting to do what you're doing. You're still getting to send those out. But in a, without you realizing it, your kids are actually starting to get a bit of an understanding on how better to reach people. Now, last year, I actually, uh, I went out to a, a card shop. They had a sale rack. And in June, they had these sales on Valentine's cards and Christmas cards. Okay? And I bought a pack, I think, of like 200 Christmas cards. And it was like a tenner. You know, it was, it was bugger all because it was June. And I brought them home and I said to my daughter, we're going to send everyone a Christmas card. She's like, oh, that's stupid. I said, maybe so, but we're going to send everyone a Christmas card. We're going to send our clients a Christmas card. 
Why? Because every year I always challenge to see who's going to be the first one to send a Christmas card. This year, I don't want to leave it to chance. So you're getting a Christmas card in June. Now, I actually had her do all of that, sent it out. She thought I was an absolute idiot. Uh, the, amount, wow. the amount of people that actually went on the Facebook and sent me emails yeah. of them opening up a Christmas card from Steve Sims going, what an idiot, you know? God, I got this, you know, oh, what, what retard sends a Christmas card? And I got all of those things. Couldn't have been better. Couldn't have been better. And do you know the funniest email? An old client of mine that we had separated came back to me and he went, I had to get in touch with you. I was upset. I didn't get a Christmas card. How can we kick it up again? And he'd actually noticed. Wow. And he yeah. responded because he didn't get a Christmas card, but he had yeah. seen it on LinkedIn or something. Right, yeah. Someone holding up a picture. Fear of missing out. Oh, yeah. But also what you're doing, you're fear of missing out. You are deliberately standing out. And if everyone's doing emails, do post. Yeah, yes. Well, that was the genius. I mean, I, I was, I'm, I'm just kind of just admiring the fact that just the novelty of like, I got a Christmas card in June. Yep. It's, it's genius. That's genius. Well, I, in some ways, I'm hoping some of my people, I'm going to start doing some of these things. I, I will give credit where credit is due. People are like, where the hell did you get that idea? Well, okay, listen to episode number 148 or whatever. But um, no, I mean, and it's being so deliberate um, that, that, you know, when everybody was sending mailers, then you stopped sending mailers. When everybody was doing email, you stopped doing email. Um, you're, you're ahead of the game, but with a creative touch. And again, all, although... I, Stating the obvious, though, your business is built on relationships. But I dare say 98% of most businesses are built on relationships. And I, and I think that's um, the, the, t the casting the deeper net instead of the wider net is, is, um, has worked out well for you. Let's say that. Well, the relationship, a, a relationship is the defining factor as to whether or not they stay with you or they go to a competitor. Because let's be completely blunt, 99% of us do things that there's someone else in the planet that does the exact same or similar. And to the uneducated client out there, when they're looking, they can very easily look at someone else's company and go, well, hang on, that's the same as Steve, I think. And very rarely will they ask you to qualify whether or not that is the fact. But if you can build up on an identity, a tone, and here's the beautiful thing, by getting this community of those people to get the Christmas cards to actually start talking about you, then you've got a community as well. Because you can say brilliant things and it's marketing. But if someone else says brilliant things about you, then it's gospel. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, yeah. You get them to do your own public relations. Man, yep. that's, that's genius. Uh, Steve, uh, <laughs> as always... You're more than entertaining. Oh, and, and let's, uh, and, and speaking of like letting everybody else do your own public relations, uh, like you would never do this, so I will do it for you. So in the year and a half I've known Steve, um, he has on his own, like recommended great guests for me. And then you reached out and emailed them for me, uh, sent introductions and, and 
that for which that I, I cannot thank you enough, but it's also, you're, you're proving your point. Like you're building relationships. Um, and just being a good guy is always worth it. And so I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I, I have thanked, you know, thanked you enough, but I'm going to do it more on how much okay. you've helped me. And I sincerely appreciate it. Um, I will uh, honor that. I cannot believe I was in Los Angeles last weekend and it was a debt to my credit. It was a down and back and I was barely there, but I promised myself next time in Los Angeles that uh, a, a good bourbon is on me. Um, but, uh, well, and I know your taste in bourbon, it's going to cost me a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> no cheap stuff for you, my friend. Um, but, uh, so tell everybody where they can find more about the book, about your website, all that good stuff. Well, uh, my website is Steve D Sims. That's S I M S just one M. Um, you can go to amazon.com and look up blue fishing, the art of making things happen. Um, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all the usual places under Steve D. Sims. Steve, uh, man, I hope people uh, pick up your book because in the in just this short podcast, you've heard some of the most, I can use that tomorrow or I can hopefully use that today. The book is filled with those. I mean, literally, it's just one thing after another of, well, that, man, I could do that. I should do that. Why am I not doing that? Even listening to you today, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start Google calendaring great events with my family to be more deliberate. So we'll take notice instead of just casually doing it. So uh, I appreciate the interview. Appreciate your time, man. Oh, I'm thrilled. Thanks, buddy. There it is. Steve Sims, as promised, highly entertaining, really good value. Some of the best advice I've gotten in a long time. So I'm already starting to practice what I preach on the show, and I've uh, already made some deliberate plans with my family because of that. All right, this has brought you some value. Please let us know on Twitter. Also, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash start it up. It is there where we have some discussions and also, quite frankly, an opportunity to recommend other guests on the show. Also, I'm giving away one free book of Steve's, and it's a signed copy, so look forward to that on Facebook. Other than that, this is Don Wetrick reminding you that opportunities are everywhere. We'll see you.